Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So as you come in this morning, as you came into the church, uh, you may have noticed that there were two TV screens. We try to try to cover them up and we turn them off, but there are two sort of billboards, two kiosks out in the lobby, and those play a bunch of different movie previews on repeat. And before we get everything set up and as we're beginning to set things up here at the church, one of the things that will happen is I will get the chance, and then those of us who are setting up early get the chance to watch several movie trailers over and over and over. So if you have any questions on the coming attractions here at the movie theater, I have a pretty good idea of what's coming next. But uh, for the past few months, there's been one trailer that's been on there uh, that is absolutely not my style. In fact, I, I came to see a movie uh, not too long ago on my day off, and that preview, I was, I was seeing the matinee on a Tuesday, which meant that um, I was definitely a demographic outlier at the 1 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon crowd. Um, they were more of the four o'clock dinner crowd, if you catch my drift. And, um, and the preview for this same movie that had been on uh, the previews out there was a movie called Us, and it was a horror film. And as the, the trailer progressed, you could hear people uh, in the audience audibly saying, nope. Mm-mm, nope, nope, not going to see that. Not no, uh-uh, no. And honestly, one of those people saying that out loud was me. Because horror movies are absolutely not uh, my thing. And so uh, as we sort of thought about that, I was thinking about another horror movie that I expected would, would go away quickly and somehow has managed four or five sequels. The movie is called The Purge. Um, if you haven't heard of it, it's a movie that envisions what would happen if for one night every year... Uh, all the laws were turned off. Cops went home, stayed home, and nobody would be convicted of a crime on that night. I figured this would be a flash-in-the-pan, one-time movie, and yet it spawned more sequels than I can count because I don't pay attention because, for me, that's an absolute nope, right? But it got me thinking, what is it about that movie that is so attractive that it has had all of those sequels made about it? Why is this idea that we can do anything we want, that we can live as lawlessly as we want, why is that something that interests us? I think the reason why a lot of people are interested, one of the reasons at least, is that it's a chance, the movie presents a chance for us to act out our own sense of justice. We get the chance to act out our own sense of justice. And, and in the movie, they, they do it quite violently. But when you think about it, that's really what wrath and anger are. They're a chance for us, they're a chance for us to act out our own justice. And to be honest, we as a culture, we as a people, are people that kind of like being angry. Now, we would never admit that. It's not, it's not popular. It's not necessarily okay to say, oh, yes, I like being angry. It makes me feel good. But that adrenaline rush, that fight or flight thing that you feel inside of you when you get angry kind of feels good, right? Have you ever been tired? You're on your way to work. You haven't had your cup of coffee yet. Somebody cuts you off. And guess what? All of a sudden, you're ready. 
right? All of the sluggishness in your body is suddenly gone because that jerk who didn't know how to drive, who I'm sure had plates from another state, <laughs> that person made me mad. We like that feeling. It gets our going. It gets our, our blood churning. In fact, we like it so much that we go out looking for fights. That's why we as humankind created the internet. We made the internet so that we could be mad online. Okay, maybe not that entirely, but you think about how often the internet is a place where we go and we just get angry. We even have phrases for that, right? You mad, bro? That is the way you communicate to someone online that they are getting mad online. Why is it that we love this so much? Why is it that we love this feeling? The reason why we love that feeling is because we feel like we're able to right the wrongs in this world. Hold on, honey. I can't come to the dinner table. Somebody is wrong on the internet. I have, I have to finish this. That's how we feel. It feels good to right the world. We, we have this sense that if we are the Avengers, if we, not the, not the movie characters, but like the people who do vengeance, right? we are the ones who are bringing justice and fairness to the world, and our anger is our vehicle to do this. And that makes us feel good. We are fixing what is wrong in the world. That's what our anger tells us that we're doing. Now, here's what's really interesting about anger or wrath, whichever word you use for it, among the seven deadly sins. This is the only one that the Bible tells us that Jesus himself experienced. You ever think about that? Sort of go through the seven deadly sins. Sloth, Jesus wasn't lazy. Lust, Jesus didn't lust. Pride, Jesus didn't have sinful pride. But anger? Yes. Yes. In fact, the Bible, in, in Mark chapter 3, it tells the story of Jesus going to a synagogue one day, and there's a man who has a withered hand. And he comes to Jesus to be healed. And as he comes to Jesus to be healed, everybody in the congregation is kind of folding their arms, looking at Jesus. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to heal this man on the Sabbath? That's a violation. You, you can't do that. That's working. And it says that Jesus looks at them and Jesus is angry at them. Jesus is angry at those religious leaders for looking down their nose at the miracle that he's about to do. Not only that, Jesus on two different occasions, both at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, made a whip. Think about that. Did not go and buy a whip, though I don't know if they had like whip stores back then. But, but he made one and then took that whip into the city of Jerusalem and then used that whip to drive money changers out of the temple. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know a lot about whip usage, but what I've seen on TV and in like terrible theme park Indiana Jones renditions is you can't quietly and soft-spokenly use a whip. There's no silencer on a, it, it is a it is a angry instrument. And so Jesus 
experienced these sort of things. And so if it's a seven deadly sin and Jesus never sinned, what's going on here? What's the difference between you and I being mad that we didn't get promoted and Jesus driving the people out of the temple? What's the difference between the road rage that we feel and Jesus being angry at the religious leaders when he was going to heal the man. What is that? What is it that separates the wrath that God has from ours? What is it that separates these things? I think there's two things. First of all, that we are limited. When we are mad, oftentimes it's because we think that we know the motives of somebody else. This happened, right? I was driving on Friday night uh, to our new members class from the church. And I was driving down 2nd Street. And I was in the, the right lane. I needed to be in the left lane so I could eventually make a left turn. And I hadn't seen anybody at the light before me in the left lane. So after the light, I casually put on my blinker and started driving over. And I cut somebody off really bad. And I could see them in my rearview mirror, and they were shaking their fist and giving me uh, some sort of single finger salute for what I had done, right? They were really, really mad at me as if I had intentionally been a terrible driver. Turns out I was just an absent minded driver. Oftentimes our anger is born out of the fact that we assume we know somebody else's motive, that that person slighted me on purpose. But let's be honest. Do we know the motives of other people? How often is the anger built up in our own mind as we assume the motives of somebody else? Probably more often than we care to admit. And that sets us apart from Jesus, doesn't it? Because Jesus really did know the motives of others. But there's something more. I think there's something more. And that is the focus. Your anger, City Church, my anger, City Church, is almost always, without fail, focused on a selfish thing. You inconvenienced me while I was driving. You denied me the promotion that would have given me the more money that I wanted. You did something that wronged me. You hurt my feelings. And now I'm mad. Our anger is most often focused on ourself. And then when we do that, what we see is that our anger is born from something else. It's born from our desire for something more. So here's what I want to do. I want to read uh, some of Paul's writing on anger. And I want you to stand up as I do that. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 4, and I'd like you to stand as I do. The Apostle Paul says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Our anger, more often than we care to admit, is based on our own selfish motives and our own desires for something else. So what I want to do first is sort of look at the different ways that anger comes at us. If you saw in the passage that we read from Ephesians, he kind of at one point, like a machine gun, starts firing off this and this and this and this. It looks like this and that and the other. And I think one of the things that he shows when he does that is that none of us are immune to anger. See, some of us like to think, well, I'm not an angry person. I don't have those outbursts. I don't get road rage. I don't get angry at other people. I have, ne- I have not raised my voice in 25 years. Some of us sort of can be deceived and think that that means that we're not angry. But it's no shock then that Paul starts with one of the ways that anger shows up in our life being bitterness. Because bitterness is not hot anger. That's what comes next. That's wrath. Wrath is that hot, over-the-top, hot-headed, blow up, yell at your kids, yell at the coworker, yell at the people underneath you at work, whatever it is. That's wrath. But bitterness is anger, too. And bitterness is that cold, icy feeling where somebody angers you. And instead of blowing up on them, you stuff it down. And you say, I'll remember this. Because I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to keep this inside. And I'm going to seethe on this. And you know what? I'm going to have, I'm going to have a conversation in my mind about the next time this happens, I'm going to say this. And they're, they're never, and it, and it's calculated. Because bitterness is intensely personal. We don't often share our bitterness with others, do we? We don't often share that cold, calculating feeling. We keep it on the inside. And that bitterness is something that always rots us because it's always anger. And guess what happens when you keep stuffing that anger down? You know. You know what happens if you're a person who struggles with bitterness. Someday, at some point, it comes out. Doesn't it? And it is a dragon. It is an absolute dragon when it comes out. And so he says, look, you think you're angry because you don't yell a lot. No, you're bitter. You're wrathful. When he talks about clamor, clamor is that subtle insistence that I get my own way. It's that sort of nipping at somebody else. You know, you know, this would be better if you just did this. It's that constant, right? It's that, it's that person in staff meeting whose idea they just cannot let go. And so every time, every time you're at an all hands meeting in your office, 
This is the person who keeps kind of bringing up, you know, I think we should do this. You know, you know, it'd be better if we did this. It's that constant, quiet and subtle nipping at the heels. It is, it is the attack of the chihuahuas. <laughs> One chihuahua is not terrifying. A hundred chihuahuas is absolutely terrible. Why? Because those little bites, those little, itty, you know, it's going to, it's, you know, they, they, they say that you shouldn't be scared of the sharks, you should be scared of the piranhas. Clamor is the chihuahuas, it is the piranhas, it is the constant small bites. And then there's slander, which I think is something that we as a culture have uh, turned into an art form. Slander is any time that we mar the reputation of somebody else. And most of the time it's tied to us retaliating. This person has slighted me. This person has shorted me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it quietly but clearly known that they're not good. How do you respond when the other person gets promoted at work? How do you respond three months down the road when they're promoted and they fumble the ball on a project? Well, you know, if I'd got this job, if I, if I had been given the opportunity to lead this team, this wouldn't have happened. And so we retaliate. We do this in petty ways online, don't we? There are so many ways in which we quietly show our anger as well as out loud. And then the last one he lists, he sets it apart, is malice. Malice is our constant desire for others to feel pain. Think about that person who you feel has wronged you. Whether it's at work in your family, wherever it is. For some of you, your struggle is that you constantly want that person to feel pain. This is, this is the German schadenfreude, right? The joy in someone else's pain. That person who did me wrong, I don't mind when they suffer. And we hold on to that. And just like bitterness, we don't tell anyone. We just keep it on the inside. And all of these things, all of these ways that anger shows up in our heart or shows up in our lives, most of us can find ourselves in some of those pictures. But here's what we immediately do. We immediately try to cloak our anger with good religious language. Well, Yes, but Jesus was angry. Jesus had a whip. Jesus kicked people out of the temple. I'm just being like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Make a whip and kick everybody out of church. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate answer to that question, isn't it? And so what we do is we try to cloak our personal selfish anger in, well, well, Jesus was angry, so everything is fine. Church, if you're a Christian, you are the most guilty of this. You try to baptize your anger with religious language. Ah, I'm, I'm just mad at them because they're leading people astray. 
I'm just angry at them because they're not doing the right thing. You know, if, if they would just follow God's commands, I wouldn't be angry at them. If they were just more like me, then I wouldn't be frustrated. Then I wouldn't have this bitterness in me, would I? It's their fault, not mine. And after all, they're a sinner. And we're quick to look for sin in the lives of anybody we're angry at to justify ourselves. All we're doing in that case is acting just like, incidentally, the people who Jesus was mad at in Mark 3. Jesus wants to heal somebody and they want to look across their glasses and say that you're not supposed to work on Sunday. Saturday in their case, I know. And we get angry. And all we're doing is trying to justify ourselves. Which is not the way that Jesus handled things. One of the things that we see in both of Jesus' responses is a contrast to our anger, right? First of all, for you and I, most of the time, our anger is very quick, right? We're quick-tempered. We have a quick trigger. And so whenever anybody slights us in the least bit, we are quick to jump on them. We are quick to be angry at them. But it's not just that we're quick. It's also that our anger isn't proportional. How many times have you seen, not you, I know that you're all good, moral people. How many times have you seen somebody else absolutely blow a gasket at a waitress or a waiter? Right? I said I wanted my steak medium rare. Do you guys even know what a steak is? Look at this thing. Right? Did, did that waitress have anything to do with the cooking of that steak? No. And yet, here we are, blowing up. Like, look, this happens to me. I am guilty of this, of, of disproportionate anger. I, uh, I told the new members class uh, a story about how when, when I help my kids get a shower, they're children. Right? They, they don't automatically become like full functioning adults. So they like to do things that I know to be unsafe in the shower, like jumping up and down in the shower. Right? This is something that, like, for some reason brings them the most incredible amount of joy, right? And here I am, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like sharp edges, there's like tile knives sticking out of this shower. If you jump, you're going to split your head open. It's going to be awful, right? And so, what do I do? Do I calmly tell my kids, hey, I know that it's a lot of fun to jump up and down in the shower, but we need to be relaxed for a little minute, a minute? No, I do not. What I do is I blow a gasket. I go to DEFCON 5 immediately. Like, what are you doing? Every time we're in the shower, you have to jump up and down, and one of you is going to die. The net result of this, I promise, is that you're... I'm just, and here's my justification, right? Immediately, even as I tell you the story in my mind, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, but, but I'm just doing that for their safety. They need to understand that jumping up and down is a, a safety hazard to them. So my anger is just... No, it's not. It's not justified. Because you know what's really going on in my heart? I want everything in my life to be easy. I want everything in my life to be comfortable. I want no problems. Right? No, good vibes only. Right? And I'm so committed to the idea of good vibes only 
that when my children do children things that inconvenience me, what do I do? I get angry. Is my anger really about the safety of my children? No. What I'm seeing, what I'm seeing if I look at my anger is it's exposing what I really love. Because what I really love is comfort. In that moment, more than I love my children, I love comfort. Because that's what anger does. Anger, if we stop and we think about it, if we give ourselves time to sort of pull on the thread of anger, to to trace it back to its source, what we find is that our anger is always rooted in something else. Our anger is rooted in our true desires being unfulfilled. You want to know why you're angry that your food didn't come out right? One, you're probably hangry. Two, you want everything to go just right. And they're a block, they're an obstacle in the way to your evening going exactly how you want it. Our desires are unfulfilled. Because what we really love, what our anger is pointing us to, is the fact that you and I are more often than not chasing things like security. I'm frustrated that somebody knocked over the way that things have gone. We're chasing acceptance. This person slighted me. This person said something in front of mutual friends that hurt me. So I'm not getting the acceptance I need. And we're angry about it. Our spouse doesn't treat us the way that we want to be loved by them. And so we are angry. Things are out of control, and so we get, you know, we're so quick to take any injustice in our lives and flip it into a reason to be angry. I mean, think about road rage, right? In in St. Pete, apparently, it could get you shot, even the best of our neighborhoods. And all road rage is is somebody inconveniencing us in our air-conditioned vehicles. Driving from one place to another. Right? We're so quick. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you something when it comes to this idea of anger. Which is, anger is always something that violates our sense of fairness. And the question that I want to ask this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, is where does your sense of fairness come from? Is your sense of fairness limited to what seems fair to you? Or is there another standard? Because one of the things that Christianity provides for us, one of the things that the Bible teaches us, is that there is an objective standard, not just of fairness, but of fairness as big brother justice. See, in order for something to be unfair, there needs to be some standard. Are we making our standard up as we go? Is our standard based on just ourselves? Or is there something more going on? Is our standard based on something else? Christianity gives us a sense of that. Gives us an objective standard, but also a way for that anger to be satisfied. You see, one of the things about anger 
is that it is also something that always needs to be satisfied. If somebody does something unjust to you, whether real or perceived, what must somebody must pay for that, right? And I don't just mean in the, you're going to pay for this sort of way. No, truly and really, somebody must always pay for injustice. Now, maybe it's you. Maybe you're one of the real heroes. Maybe you are the real MVP in this world and somebody cuts you off and you say, hey, that's fine. Good on you. And you absorb that. Maybe somebody says something unkind to you and you shake it off. What are you doing? In that case, you're absorbing that. Or you can reflect it right back at them, right? I, my road rage takes on a very simple form. Whenever I get mad at somebody, I give them a thumbs up. Because what I'm really doing is shaming them, right? Because what's true? Most of us, whenever we make a mistake driving, we're aware of it, aren't we? Whenever, whenever we cut somebody off, we realize that, uh, that probably wasn't, I probably should have checked my blind spot more than I did. I probably should have paid attention to the light, right? And so what I do is I give people a thumbs up, right? What am I doing? I, I'm shaming them. You're a good driver. That's probably worse than showing them one of my other fingers. Somebody must absorb it. Or it's going to keep going. And that's where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus experienced anger, but it was always anger for the sake of others. He was angry at the religious leaders because they didn't want him or they had a second thought about him healing a man whose hand was withered. Jesus was angry at the people in the temple because they were preventing others from worship. Jesus' anger was always for the sake of others and was never selfish. Unlike ours. He always displayed what is the opposite of anger, which is meekness. Meekness is not something we talk about much. Meekness is strength under control. Jesus, even in the response and kicking the people out of the temple, remained in control. He did not go over the top. He remained with his power under control. But then, even more than Jesus experiencing anger, even more than Jesus showing us the opposite of anger in his life, what Jesus did was absorbed the anger towards us. When Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was taking all of the injustice of the world on his own shoulders. Jesus was the just man. Jesus was the only person in the history of the world that never deserved God's wrath. And yet, what does Jesus take on himself on the cross? He takes God's wrath onto himself. Why? Why does Jesus volunteer to be the recipient of injustice? So that you and I might be justified before God. So that you and I might be forgiven. Jesus takes on himself all the times that we are wrathful. All the times that we are bitter and clamoring. All the times that we harbor malice towards somebody else. 
all the times we are angry and sin. And He takes that on Himself. And He dies. He takes the punishment for the wrath that you and I deserve. And so what this does for those of us who are Christians, what this calls us to is to see our wrath for what it really is. Because our wrath is never an end in and of itself. It's always pointing us to something more in our hearts. Whether that is comfort, whether that is security, acceptance, control, whatever it is that your anger points you back to, what we need to confess is not that I get a little mad in the car, that I get a little upset at my kids, that sometimes I yell at my wife, maybe that one time I kicked a dog. What we really need to confess is what's going on down deeper. And as we do that, we find forgiveness. You know, it's interesting that in this passage in Ephesians, Paul gives an example. He's, he's talking about anger, and then for just a second, he starts talking about stealing, and then he goes back to talking about anger. Why does Jesus do that? Or why does Paul do that in this, this short little snippet in Ephesians? The reason why he does that is because it's hard for us to imagine what it looks like to turn from our anger. So he uses the illustration of something else. When is a thief no longer a thief? Most of our gut reaction, most of our gut answers to that is when he stops stealing. But is that what Paul tells us? No, Paul says he's no longer a thief, not just when he stops stealing, but when he starts working and is generous towards others. When is an angry person no longer an angry person? Not when you stop being angry. The solution is not serenity now. If you're familiar with the TV show Seinfeld, you might remember that there was an episode where they decided that they were no longer going to be angry. And instead of being angry, all they would do is instead of saying something angry, they would just say serenity now. And of course, in classic Seinfeld fashion, it does not work out. By the end of the episode, they are screaming serenity now at one another. When is the thief no longer a thief? When is the angry person no longer an angry person? When they can say serenity now? No. When our heart of trust in God's justice begins to grow. You see, when I repent, not just of the angry things I do, but my true loves and desires underneath of them, and I find my forgiveness in Jesus, what I can begin to see is that He is the one who is truly just. That he is the only one who knows everyone else's thought. He is the only one who is all powerful. He is the only one who is everywhere. I can't do that. I can't bear that. My anger whispers to me that I can, but I cannot. And so when I begin to turn from my anger, what I begin to do is have trust that God knows what he's doing in my life and the lives of others. What I begin to do is trust that God is making all of the sad and unjust things in this world become untrue because he is. Because the resurrection of Jesus began the undoing of all of the evil and injustice of this world. And one day God is going to finish that. And so I don't have to be the one who brings vengeance. I don't have to be the fixer. 
I don't have to be the one who is in control. Because I have a God who is. May we trust in Him, City Church. Let's pray.